Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is is full of his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Here I am. Send me. This is the reading of God's word. Thank you. Let me me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you that we have the privilege as your people to come together to worship you. To, to sing of your glory, to be able to read your scripture, to hear the, your word being preached. And Father, we pray that today as we delve into your word, as we think about what you have to say to us through your word, we pray that we would just be encouraged, we would be convicted, that we would be in awe of you, and that we would just respond to your word with worship to you and with more faith in you and his desire to dedicate our lives to you. We thank you. We praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're in the book of Isaiah. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty, actually, pretty famous passage. <clears throat> thank you, Kayla, for reading the passage for us. And it's a, it's a passage that I think a lot of times I've heard, especially in, term, in context of missions, that verse 8, right here I am, Send me. And I remember even singing a song, I think, when I was maybe in youth group called Here I Am, which I used to really like a lot. I don't actually remember exactly how it goes. But I remember singing it and really thinking a lot about how to serve God. And, and it's a well-known passage because it's, it's a passage that really, I think, is, is important for all of us. It's an encounter, an encounter of the prophet, prophet Isaiah with, with God. And it's an encounter that obviously changes his life. I don't know if any of you have ever met someone that just really blew you away or had an encounter with somebody that was life-changing. I was trying to think of my own life, and I can't think of too many examples of that. Um, I mean, I've talked to people I know who have met celebrities, right, and they, they get really impressed. I remember, uh, you know, when I used to pastor up in, um, in Connecticut, people at UConn would sometimes meet you know, one of their favorite college basketball players, and they would just be like, oh, that was so cool, or we're talking to people who've met their fast, you know, like a basketball player or like, or, you know, a musical artist or someone. And I actually remember a brother of mine who met a pastor he re- really respected. And he was just, just so in awe. And so I, I think of those examples as, yeah, that's great. You meet somebody that you respect or that you, you know, you, you look up to, that, you know, you want to meet. But that's not necessarily life-changing, right? That's just, that's just nice. That's cool. Isaiah has an experience where he meets, he meets God. You know, he says, he, I saw the Lord, 
and his life obviously is changed, it's transformed. And as we look at this encounter that actually happens, I wanted to look at it today because my hope is that for all of us, we would obviously encounter God and that we would change, that our lives would be completely transformed and that with Isaiah, we could actually utter those words, here I am, send me. And so I have really three points today, um, like most pastors do when they preach sermons, right? It's the glory of God, the grace of God, and the call of God, right? Three points, the glory of God, the grace of God, and the call of God. The first part here is, is the glory of God. Now, I didn't tell Abe to pick the second song, you know, glory, but I was hoping he would. Thank you, Abe, for doing that, for reading my mind. And, uh, and, and it's a very appropriate song, right? Because the song clearly is thinking about Isaiah 6, you know, when he talks about, you know, his glory and, you know, the train of his role filling the temple. It's literally coming out of Isaiah 6. But as we think about the glory of God, let's see what Isaiah says here. And it says here, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his role filled the temple. Now, let's start with there. The king has just died. Uh, if you study, you know, the Bible and, you know, Old Testament history and things like that, we know that King Uzziah was a king for a long time. It was a prosperous reign for the most part. Things were well. But the problem is the king, even though he was better earlier in his life, he becomes proud and you know, more disobedient. And towards the end of his life, actually, he is punished with leprosy. He's in seclusion. But what the idea here is, you know, this is not a good time, right, for God's people. You know, the Syrians are rising up in power. The king obviously has just died, he was king for a while, and so there's a lot of uncertainty, right? There's a lot of probably fear and anxiety, and in that time, in that midst, God is showing Isaiah that he is in charge. And it says here, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Now, I want to say something here. Isaiah's in the temple. He's at the temple to worship God. Now, Picture a temple. Can you picture a throne in the temple? Right? When we come to church, do you picture a throne that a king will sit in at church? Of course not. When you go to a temple, you think of an altar, where you think of a place of worship. You don't think of a throne. And yet, what does Isaiah see in his vision? He sees that the king has died, the earthly king. So people have anxiety. People may be in fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. And he is seeing that the king, right, the Lord is sitting upon a throne. And he is so high, he is so lifted up, he is so glorious that just the train of his robe fills the temple. Right, just the train, right, just that little part of that robe, which probably seems like nothing, he is so glorious that just that fills the temple. And so what we're seeing, again, is a picture of God's sovereignty, his power, his glory. And then verse 2, he continues. It says, above him stood the seraphim. That just means burning ones. And they're obviously servants of God. And they had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Now think about this. The seraphim, they're like angels. They don't even have sin, and yet they can't look at God. God is so glorious. They have to cover their face. That's how glorious God is. 
And then these burning ones, these seraphim, we don't know how many there were, but probably a lot of them. And he called, they call to another, and they say in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How just glorious is that? All these seraphim, and they're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And here's the thing. In the Bible, when you want to emphasize something, you said it twice. So, for example, if somebody is very pretty, you would say, not you're very pretty, but you would say you are pretty, pretty. You say it twice. To, it's the magnification, right? So, if you're really smart, you know, you say, oh, you're smart, smart. Or if that's a lot of gold, you say it's gold, gold, right? Like, like you say it twice to just say it's a lot. But you, what you don't see is three times. Because three times, that just means it's indescribable. It's just beyond imagination. And so you don't see that. And yet here in this passage, we see holy, holy, holy. They're saying God is so holy, God is so glorious that they just can't even describe it. That's how amazing it is. And the thing about holiness, right, it obviously means to be set apart, but it also means it's just, it's, it's perfect, it's the best. And it's talking about God's brilliance, God's beauty. So we're thinking about how holy means it's infinitely and perfectly beyond anyone else, and yet also is brilliant and beautiful. And so what is Isaiah seeing? He's seeing how brilliant, how glorious, how amazing God is. He's seeing his glory. And then in verse 4, it says, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So just picture this picture. Picture this image. It's, he's in the temple. He's there to worship God. And he sees the throne, right? There shouldn't even be a throne there, but he sees a throne. The Lord is sitting on the throne showing that even if the earthly king has died, I am in control. I am all-powerful. I am glorious, right? So he, he's obviously he's saying, trust me. And then he sees these seraphim flying around just shouting, holy, 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 which means he is perfect, he is brilliant, he is beautiful, he is set apart, and it's just so amazing. And then even the foundations are just shaking. Everything is filled with smoke because obviously there's an altar there. And so Isaiah sees all of this, and the first thing Isaiah sees in the passage is God's holiness, God's glory, God's sovereignty. He just sees how amazing God is. And I want to share that first because that is so important. I think for us as 21st century churchgoers, hopefully Christians, we forget how glorious God is. I think a lot of times we think about God as a friend. And obviously the Bible says, right, he is a friend, but he's also a king. But he is our Lord. And so sometimes even the way we read our Bibles, the way we pray, we forget how glorious he is. We think about his love, his faithfulness, which again is awesome. These are amazing things. Of course, he loves his people. Of course, he's there for us. Of course, he is weeping with us when we are crying. Of course, he is embracing us and loving us. But God is also holy. He is set apart. He is perfection, right? He is creator. We are creature. It's not a matter of degree. We're just different. 
right? There's nothing in creation that compares to him. And I think it is important for us when we think about God, when we worship God, to shout glory, to be in awe of him. You know, even in creation, when you look at something amazing, you know, you go to Niagara Falls and see just, just the wonderfulness of that. You know, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but people tell me when they go there, they just see how just amazing it is. They're in awe. You know, people, we see even works of man, you know, People go to like the pyramids and they say, wow, that's incredible. They're in awe. They see a beautiful work of art and people are in awe. I remember going to the Sistine Chapel in Rome and just honestly just being in awe, just looking at the ceiling and my neck was hurting me, but I just wanted to keep looking at it because, again, you're in awe. And these are all nice, but they're creation. When we think about the creator, when we think about God himself, when we think about the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory, that's amazing. And we should be in awe of him. When we sing songs like we sang today about glory, we should say glory. We're going to lift your name on high. We're going to shout from the mountaintops about how awesome you are because truly you are glorious. And the important thing that we also remember is that God, holy, perfect, glorious, he loves his people. Well, if we are a people of God, we're not loved by just some, you know, weak God or some just fuzzy God. No, we are loved by this glorious, holy, perfect, amazing God. And so we see the glory of God. But secondly, in the passage, we see the grace of God, really the, the mercy of God. And we look in this passage, and Isaiah in verse 5, once he sees God's glory, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, Isaiah, and if you study Isaiah, he was actually, he says, from kind of an upper class, right, family, right? He's somebody who was somebody. He wasn't like a nothing nobody, but, you know, in society, he was fairly impressive. And so he probably had a certain view of himself that was probably somewhat high, and yet, when he sees the glory of God, the first thing he says is, woe is me. Woe just means cursed is me, for I am lost. I think that's the appropriate response. Because when we meet someone impressive, what happens? We realize how unimpressive we are. But you may think you're smart, and if you meet somebody who's much smarter than you, what happens? We feel not so smart. Right? We may think we're good-looking, and then you meet somebody who's really good-looking, and you feel not as pretty, not as good-looking, right? Maybe, you know, maybe you're somebody who's in the gym and always working out, and you think your body is, looks a certain way, and then you meet someone who is so much more fit, so much more muscular, so much whatever, and you feel what? You feel small, right? If you're benching 200 and you're impressed with yourself, someone's benching 400, obviously you can't help but to feel, whoa, like compared to you, I'm like almost embarrassed to try to lift these ways. Why? Because when we're in the midst of greatness, but we feel small. I remember one time, actually, we were, we had a, a Christian, I guess, a basketball tournament, and we saw a guy who was just dominating. He was really, really good. And then later, I went to a, uh, a UConn basketball game, and he was on the team. I think he was a walk-on, but he was like the last guy on the bench the last guy on the bench. I remember at the end of the game, it was during like garbage time. He got a little bit of playing time. 
I remember thinking, man, with these other people, he was so good. But you know, when he's on this team, right, what he, he seems like he's, he's, he's not much. Why? Because, again, when someone's better than, someone's greater than you, you feel less a lot of times. Isaiah, no matter how impressed he might have been with himself, no matter how high he thought he was, when he was in the presence of God, he realized how small, how nothing he was at that moment. But he also realized, I'm a sinner. And if I, a sinner, look of God, says here, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, he knows what should be the result of that. It should be death. Right? He should be cursed. He should be, his life should be over. And so, as he sees God, he says, woe is me, cursed is me, I am lost. And then he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And if you think about Isaiah, what's probably his greatest gift? Probably his lips, right? He was a prophet. And so he's realizing even what he thinks might be his gift is nothing compared to God. And he is lost. He is cursed. Right? He's done for. Why? Because I am in the presence of God, in the presence of his glory, his holiness. And so what is Isaiah feeling like? Like he's feeling so small, he's feeling like nothing. He's feeling, he's feeling like he is doomed. And then at that moment, what happens in verse 6? One of the seraphim flies to him, and he has in his hand a burning coal that is taken with tongs from the altar. So here's a seraphim who's a burning one, and yet even the seraphim needs a tongue to grab this burning coal, which is probably super hot, and he takes it from the altar and is bringing it to Isaiah. And then he touches Isaiah's mouth. I'm going to guess at this moment, Isaiah is thinking, I'm done. I'm a goner. It's over for me. Because in the Old Testament, when you see fire, it's wrath. It's judgment. Right? And when you see fire in the Old Testament like this, it's, it's God's wrath being poured out. It's God's judgment. And so at this moment, Isaiah is probably thinking, I have seen his glory. I am nothing. I am a sinner. He is so perfect. And I'm in awe. And yet, now he's probably scared because here, this unclean man, I have seen perfection. And now here is this fire coming at me. And he's thinking, I'm just going to be engulfed. I'm done. It is over. And at that moment of despair, when he thinks it's all over, what happens? Verse 7. He touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. How Amazing is that. Here, Isaiah is probably shaking in fear, thinking, God is so holy, I'm so nothing, I'm done for, I'm doomed, I'm cursed. And here is this coal and this burning fire brought by another burning seraphim, and it touches his lips. And he's probably thinking, I'm just going to die, I'm going to melt away, I'm going to be cursed, I'm done for. And instead, at that moment when he's so scared, he hears words of grace. Words of mercy, words of comfort, words of love. Behold, this burning coal has touched your lips. You're not going to be burned up. You're not going to be consumed by fire. No, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. 
he is experiencing grace. He is experiencing how amazing God's cleansing grace and mercy is. But how is that even possible? Why should Isaiah, the sinner, as he sees the Lord of hosts, why should he not be consumed? Why should he not die? Why is he forgiven? Why is his guilt taken away? Because where is that quote from? It says it's coming from the altar. So when you look at this passage, you realize there's smoke, right, filling, filling the whole house. Why? Because there's a sacrifice burning on the altar. That's where there's smoke. And so on the altar are these hot coals, and what those hot coals should be doing to the sacrifice would be to consume the sacrifice. And so the idea would be if Isaiah was done for, he would be consumed by the fire, but he is not. He is atoned for. His guilt is taken away, which means what? That is only possible because of the sacrifice on the altar that is paying the punishment for Isaiah. And so obviously for us, we look at this passage and we can't help but to realize it's pointing to Jesus. It is Christ on that altar. Christ is the one who is on the altar. That is why there is smoke everywhere. And so the reason that Isaiah is not consumed, the reason Isaiah is not cursed is because Jesus Christ on the altar became the perfect sacrifice. We're looking at the cross and we're realizing for Isaiah and for the rest of us, the people of God who have faith in Christ, the only reason that we could see the Lord of hosts and not die, the only reason that sinners like us could be in the presence of the glorious, holy, perfect God is because Christ was forsaken on the cross. He is the sacrifice on the altar. He is the one with the fire, the wrath, it's punishing him. And because of Christ's work on the cross, when we put our faith in him, just like Isaiah, we can hear those same words. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So we see the glory of God, but now we see the grace of God. Isaiah, his life is transformed. Yeah, he was in there to worship God at the temple, but I think before this, he didn't truly experience God in this way. But now he has experienced, he has encountered God. He has seen truly how glorious he is. He doesn't just know about God. Now he knows who God is. You're so glorious. You're so holy. And yet, you are gracious. That your holy, perfect God that he could somehow love and forgive a sinner like me. Just, he's, he's blown away. And I think for us, that's what we need to happen to us. Sometimes I think we hear the gospel a lot. Maybe we grew up in the church. Maybe we're at church every Sunday. Maybe we read our Bibles, and we hear about grace a lot. We hear about mercy. We read about God's glory and justice and faithfulness, and it just becomes old news. And then when we hear it, when we sing about it, when we think about it, when we read about it, it doesn't, it doesn't blow us away. It doesn't move us the way it should. But just like Isaiah is blown away, when we see his glory, when we sing songs like today about his glory and how you know, he is stronger, and when we think about who he is, we should be moved by that, by his glory, his holiness, his perfection. 
but also his love, his grace, his mercy. And then the last point, the call of God. So we have the glory of God, the grace of God, and lastly, the call of God. So after all this happens, verse 8, God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now Isaiah just responds very quickly, Here I am, send me. Now, I don't know if you realize, if you look at the passage, God didn't tell him who you're going to. God didn't tell him what you're going to be doing. God didn't tell him where you're going to go. And God didn't tell him how fruitful you're going to be. He didn't say anything. He just said, who will go for us? And Isaiah just, boom, just responds, here I am, send me. Now, if you read verse 9 onwards, I'm not going to really go into that. What you're going to read, actually, is that his call is tough. They're going to hear but not understand. They're going to see. They're not going to perceive. The, you know, the hearts of people are going to be dull. They're going to have heavy ears, blind eyes, but they're not going to understand. And then when God says, how, when he asks, how long? He says, pretty much until cities lie in waste, right? The world removes the people when there's an exile. Pretty much God says, in your lifetime, you're going to see no fruit. In verse 13, there is hope, and we see the remnant, the holy city is a stump. So there is actually real hope that obviously leads to Christ, but in Isaiah's lifetime, his calling is to preach to a bunch of people who are not going to hear you, who are not going to understand you, who are not going to respond to you, and pretty much you're going to be in despair. Right? They're going to be exiled. They're not going to listen. They're going to be punished. And yes, there's hope coming. Right? There's going to be a remnant. and There's going to be a savior. But in your lifetime, you're not going to see any fruit. But that's the call. Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Now, even after he finds out what the calling is, he doesn't back off. He's saying, here I am. Send me. If I... We asked you, if I asked you, hey, let's go on a mission trip, and no one is going to care about anything you say, you're going to have zero fruit, how many people would want to go? If I say it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, who of us says, yeah, let me go, I want to be a part of that? I, I doubt people will want to. And if, especially in our culture, if we say we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but you don't know what you're going to do. Just trust us. Just come, and just you'll see. No, we're probably going to say, no, I want to know where we're going. What are we doing? What's the plan, right? You know, we want to know these things. Isaiah just trust God. And when God says, we need someone, who's going to go? Who wants to be a servant? He says, here I am, send me. And why is he able to say that? Because he's been transformed. Because he has had an encounter with God. He has seen how holy, how glorious, how perfect God is, but he has also experienced his mercy, his cleansing, his grace, not just in theory, but in a very practical, realistic, personal encounter and experienced way. He has experienced God. He's seen his glory, and he has experienced his grace. And because of that, he says, I don't care what it is you want me to do, here I am, send me, use me for your glory. And I think that's, that's the Christian life. I think for all of us. 
as we see God's glory, perfection, holiness, but as we see his mercy, his grace, and how that has transformed our lives, the only response to that should be, Lord, here I am. Here we are. Send us. Here I am. Send me. Use me. Now, that may be on the mission field. That may be in preaching and sharing his word. But it may also be in our communities, our churches, our families, where we all have different callings. We all have different commissions from the Lord. But one thing I do know is we all have one. God wants to use all of us, all of his people in some way. And my hope and my prayer is that for all of us, it wouldn't be about figuring out what works for me. It wouldn't be just sitting there and counting the cause and, oh, that's too much, that's too, that we would just be so blown away by God's glory, by his grace, mercy, that our attitude would always be, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. I want to be used by you for your glory. And I pray that as a church, pastors, elders, but everyone in our church, that will be our hearts. That will be our desires. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we worship you. We look at this passage and we see a passage where we see your glory, where we see your grace, your mercy, and we see a response from your servant of here I am, send me. And I pray that that will be all of our responses every day. Use me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Here I am. However you want to use us, let us be open to be molded by you, to be used by you, because we are so amazed by your glory and by your grace. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.